Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber, and Inyash, to introduce our guest. We have on the phone with us, technically on Skype with us, Tzvi, who works at the Machine Intelligent Research Institute. Hi. Do you want? Hi. <laughs> hey there. Do you want to tell us a bit about uh, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, MIRI for short? I guess what they do, what you do there, and... Well, let's just start with what they do. That works. Okay. Yeah, so the Machine Intelligence Research Institute uh, is an independent uh, think tank style research institute uh, in downtown Berkeley. And what they do is technical research towards the design of safe artificial intelligence. And what, what do you mean by safe? There's both near and long-term concerns, and uh, Miri focuses on long-term concerns. So near, near-term concerns look like, you know, like self-driving cars being dangerous or whatever. Long-term concerns look like, you know, what is going to happen as AIs become extremely capable along many dimensions and are given more and more responsibility to make, like, actually important decisions. I guess just to set the stage a little bit more, I mean, so I'm, I'm familiar with Miri, and uh, I think many people listening probably are, but in the event that they're not, I think you, you touched on what their goals are that is approachable from like somebody who has no idea what the Institute does. But if you wanted to talk about your role there, or I'm also kind of curious what the day-to-day looks like before we jump into more of the specifics on what's going on. Ooh, let's get background first. How did you first find out about Miri and this whole situation? My story is, I guess, pretty standard. I, I read about rationality and AI stuff on the blog Less Wrong. And I think I stumbled upon some articles called the AI Box Experiments. Really quickly for the listeners, the AI Box Experiment is one of the common... Rebuttals. Rebuttals, yes, to the AI might be dangerous and can hurt us is, well, why don't we just put it in a computer that is not connected to the internet and it cannot do anything unless it goes through a human intermediary first who gets to veto whatever it wants to do. The worry is that the AI will be, quote unquote, let out of the box. The computer is the box and the human will be convinced to upload it or connect it to the internet, let it go free. And the AI box experiment is where one person pretends to be AI and the other person pretends to be the human who is has physical control of this computer. And the AI player has, I believe, two hours using nothing but a text terminal to try to convince the human player to let it go free. And it's always done by a human player who thinks there's absolutely no way they would ever let an AI go free. And what do you remember what the results have been? So sometimes the AI, the person playing an AI in the box was successful, and sometimes not. Despite yeah. the human saying that they would never let the AI go free, they are somehow, after two hours, talked into letting the AI go free. Right. So I, just, I want to volunteer really quick that that seems to be the line of, of refutation taken by, unfortunately, people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye. Every time I listen to Sam Harris's podcast, and I don't know, a year or two ago, Harris finally got on board with AI risk and all that, all the fun stuff involved, which to me, I think is exciting and interesting that mainstream intellectuals are getting more serious about this conversation. But in his conversation with Neil deGrasse Tyson on the show, and I've heard Tyson say this elsewhere, but when he asks Tyson, you know, about his thoughts on it, he's like, yeah, I'm not worried about it. We can just unplug it. You know, why is this even a question people are worried about? And it seems like Tyson's refused to engage with that with the answer to that question that he puts out, like, why are people worried about this? It's like, well, there, there's actually an answer to this, and you're just not playing along. Right? Why, why should we be worried about it? Why don't you think the AI uh, box is a good enough way to stop the AI? The interesting point in the development of, of AI is when the AI, like, makes higher quality decisions in general than the human operators. Uh, so in particular... If you assume, which might not be a reasonable assumption, but if you assume that the AI wants 
for some reason to get out of the box or get out of whatever restraints uh, are put on it by the human operators. And the AI can make higher quality decisions than those human operators. Then the AI will be able to like figure out a plan that's like too clever for the humans to have thought of to break out of the box. Which to me strikes me as fairly plausible, even with, uh, was it game four or five of AlphaGo, where, against uh, Lisa Dahl, where it apparently made this move, I don't play Go, so I, I couldn't tell you why it was breathtaking, but apparently it just blew everyone's minds, and it was apparently the, the move that turned the game around, and this was, I mean, this was just a game where people who had been, you know, experts at this were confused by this move that ended up being very beneficial if, if a move is if, if a come from behind winning move is possible in a game like that it doesn't seem a huge stretch to think that it'd be w- possible in another type of game like i want to get out right or not even i mean i don't like that terminology exactly but same same point well even the fact that a human has managed to convince another human to let him out of the box and we can assume that humans are much less smart than the ai potentially could be right that's the other i think knockdown position I didn't mean to go too far down that. I did, I did want to ask you a little bit about, uh, so you heard about Miri and got interested through, through Less Wrong, as I think a lot of us did. Yeah, why did, why did you join Miri? What was your, your path to, to going from person reading about this on Less Wrong to actually becoming uh, someone who works at Miri? Yeah, so basically I spent some time in college reading Less Wrong and, and like studying a bunch of math and CS. Uh, and then I just like contacted Miri. I think I was an intern three summers ago. And then I went back and finished college and then came out to Berkeley to be a grad student at UC Berkeley and also to do research with Miri. So are you a grad student right now as well? Yeah, uh, finishing up my second year. If you don't mind me asking, what did you do as an intern? It was probably not very interesting. It was probably largely administrative stuff and like informally talking to researchers. And so what do you do now that you actually work there in a more formal capacity? I do some non-research things like helping write papers. Uh, I also, my research activities are, I uh, work with Scott Garibrandt, who's one of, who is a research fellow, uh, and we work on decision theory. And I also, you know, talk to the other researchers and help run a small workshop. What workshop is it? Uh, it's like a, it's like a weekly, or not really a workshop, like a, a weekly meetup. Are you going to stay with Miri, do you think, once you're done with your grad student? I have not thought that far out yet. Okay. I have like more like a one or two year plan. I think that that will depend on a lot of stuff, yeah. What is, what is the ultimate fear that is trying to be prevented here? When we say AI alignment, what is AI alignment? In a, in a word, it's like the goal of taking those, high quality, high qual- those like systems that make high quality decisions and like pointing them in a direction that we actually like. And why why is that so difficult? Why can't we just say to the AI, uh, figure out how to reduce traffic in our city? You have all sorts of implementational problems. Like, how do you even say that? If you could say that, and you like gave an AI the goal of reduce all the traffic in the city, one really good way to do that is destroy all the cars. <laughs> there is that, I suppose. Yeah. Broadly speaking, there's this like phenomenon called perverse instantiation, meaning like if you instantiate a goal, but you do so with like a large amount of optimization pressure, like searching through a very large space of policies, you'll probably find an instantiation of that goal that is like perverse. That's not the thing that you want. It's like the genie who's intent on misinterpreting your wish. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I want to live forever is like a fairly, I think, 
tropey wish. And then it turns out that you're going to live forever, but you're going to continue to get more and more decrepit. And, you know, your last billion years are going to be the worst possible imaginable suffering. But hey, you're technically alive. I think that's a, that's a fair way to approach, broadly speaking, the, what, I guess I was just kind of rephrasing what you were saying. I remember reading of a Tetris playing program where uh, the goal is to get your score as high as possible. And for anyone who's familiar with Tetris, it's basically impossible to win, win. You just keep playing until you lose. And once you lose, your score goes down to zero. So the AI came upon the strategy of pausing the game and never unpausing it. (laughs) (laughs) And not not exactly what we wanted. And the the real-life analog of that could be terrifying. Another another classic example is, I think it's uh, Bird and Lazel. They tried to evolve uh, circuits to like act as oscillators of certain frequencies and they succeeded they evolved these circuits but then it turned out that the circuits actually were not doing anything in a way that they intended the act the actual thing was that they had formed a radio and were picking up frequencies from the air yes i remember uh, did we talk about this before or was it only in person might have been with patrick are okay. you thinking Isabel, yeah, something like that. Yes, I don't remember if we talked about it on air, if it was only in person that we were discussing it. But yes, I I remember uh, hearing about that, and they like it was so specific in in uh, how it worked that if it was moved to a different part of the room, it wouldn't work anymore, right? Right, right. And correct me if I'm wrong. I guess part of uh, really the whole of why this is a hard problem is because trying to imagine yourself and then control for every perverse interpretation or instantiation is very challenging. And I guess there's, there's other levels of, of complexity, not complex, I guess, I guess other levels of challenge built on top of that. Even once all that gets working, how do you keep things working through say self-modification? Well, couldn't you just, if the AI proposes something like destroy all cars to fix traffic, couldn't you just say, no, that is a bad, go back and try again. Right. So this is like, this is like human in a loop stuff. I mean, in some ways that's like actually a pretty good idea. Uh, the issue is like, you want to actually get useful work out of the AI. If you just have every time the AI make is going to make a decision, you're like, wait, okay, let's ask the human. You may as well just have the human make all the decisions. Maybe the AI thinks of something the human wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, this is like an op- that's like an open research direction, like plans that you can get an AI to think of and then, but are still verifiable by a human. Uh, it's it's sort of it's. I mean, this is sort of a maybe a complicated issue or I don't I don't know very much about it but like it's sort of not obvious that you can do that for example in the AlphaGo example uh, the goodness of a move is not really verifiable like if you asked AlphaGo why did you why do you think that this is a good move it'll just give you like this huge it'll like barf out a huge uh, search tree and it'll say well my neural nets thought that, that these were good moves to investigate and then when I like sampled from the distribution it, it seemed like it would turn out pretty well that's the reason. So you're kind of stuck just either trusting it or not. Right. There's like a problem where the con- like the concepts the AI is using, so to speak, are not like concepts that like interface with the way that a human would think about the problem. When I was talking uh, about Miri with Steven a few weeks ago, which was what sparked this episode, the and I think this is a common misconception, uh, Steven was under the impression that Miri's goal is to quickly create a AI which will help uplift humanity or something along those lines. That's a fair paraphrasing. I think my, my impression was that I was surprised that wasn't the case was I thought Miri, in a nutshell, was trying to build safe AI. That was, I think, what I'd said in a was like, actually, no, that's not it. So what, what is Miri's goal if it's not to actually build this machine? Right, so, so Miri's goal is 
mainly to do the research that would enable someone to like take that research, turn it into a design for a safe AI, inc- like incorporating the ordinary like capabilities produced by or by like mainstream AI research, and then make a friendly AI. Okay, that's not that's not as surprising as uh, of a of a divergence as I thought Inosh was getting at. So it sounds like they're not they're not writing the code themselves, but they're helping build the theory behind it. Yeah, and in particular helping build the theory of like how to do it safely as opposed to just how to do it. Yeah, okay. That that's that stays roughly with that le- at least confirms that my conception was roughly accurate. If even if they're not, you know, like I said, writing code themselves on this particular thing. How how are they going about doing this? That's a big question. Right. <laughs> uh, well, so there's two uh, research agendas that Mary's put out. One of them is technical foundations of agency, and one of them is alignment for advanced machine learning systems. So the foundations of agency thing actually uh, is trying to answer fundamental confusions about how like rational agency works, uh, how decision-making works. Uh, the idea being like we don't actually know in principle how to direct a like very powerful decision-making system, and part of this feels like it's coming from our, the fact that we don't really understand how high-quality decisions work at all. Is that what the original point of the whole rationality thing was, to figure out how high-quality decisions are made and directed? The rationality thing. The, the whole rationality movement, I mean, it's sort of been taken over by uh, humans trying to make our lives better, but I, I got sort of the impression that that wasn't the original goal, that it was more along the lines of trying to figure out how decisions are made well in the first place so that they can be applied to machines. Actually, when you're saying rationality, do you mean the like broad philosophical field or the conception of rationality in less wrong? More the less wrong conception. Okay. My impression is that the less wrong conception is coming from the synergy between studying human rationality and studying rationality for abstract AI systems. Yeah, there's like lots of interesting parallels. It's like a it's not entirely uncommon at Myriad to like have an insight into rationality that sort of like bounces back and forth between uh, human rationality and abstract rationality. Uh, so I, maybe that was sort of like a, a strange answer. No, no, no. To, uh, yeah, I, I think that works. No, that's fine. Also, I'm I was just I'm trying to think of whether to take like a sharp tangent to a different direction or do you have anything else you want to ask about specifically with regards to Miri's agendas and approaches? I, I, well, I was still wondering uh, more about how they are going about this because he said oh, the, right. the first prong was about even figuring out how good decisions are made, which we still don't know. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And then the, the second prong is trying to see how you would more like looking at what sorts of machine learning research that's sort of that looks more like mainstream AI machine learning research could you do to like build up the tools you would want to make a safe AI out of machine learning stuff. So how can we even do that second part if we don't yet know how good decisions are made in the first place? It's not clear whether we can, but there's still progress to be made. One line of research that I like a lot is uh, the research done by Paul Cristiano, uh, who's not at Miri, he's at uh, OpenAI. Uh, and he thinks about how to, like, sort of like we were talking about earlier, how to take human judgment like humans making decisions about like what's a good thing to do and sort of amplify that and apply machine learning to that data set, so to speak, and like make a system that's making decisions that are good in the way that human decisions are pretty good, but doing so 
at, at large scale. I, I don't know anything about his research. Does it look promising? Yeah, I'm pretty excited by it. It sort of it does it does run into what appear to be more like deeper uh, technical problems. So, how many people are working on each each prong of that on figuring out how to how to make good decisions and figuring out how to implement uh, that sort of thing in machine code? How many people? Very very few. Okay, <laughs> not nearly enough. I think you did you mean like in professional AI industry or at Miri in particular? I meant at Miri in particular. At Miri. Miri is not largely focused on machine learning. It's more about the decision theory. Not just decision theory, but yeah, it's more about the the like uh, theoretical research. I mean, I mean, certainly we we, we do some machine learning stuff. So that's not that's not the main focus. Yeah. So you, can you tell us? I mean, why this is really important, or is it really important? Sort of from a like stepping back and looking at sort of where we want the world to go, how we how we want the world to evolve over the, over the next like ten or a hundred or a thousand years. Uh, one of the key factors is intelligence. That's the thing that uh, steers the world. In particular, there's like lots and lots of money and talent pouring into uh, creating computers that are more intel- like cre- uh, creating programs that are more intelligent than humans. So that so it's like pretty relevant to everyone's goals, uh, whether or not that goes well. So so right now we have uh, computers that can play chess and go better than humans. Uh, we're right at the edge of having computers that can drive cars better than humans. There's a lot of things computers can already do that's better than humans. What's the big deal? So far, it seems to be like this has been a great thing that computers are getting better than us at certain tasks. Right. I, so this is like sort of still in the paradigm where like the humans are the top dog. Things like if I look into my crystal ball, it seems like things will change as... Uh, AI systems can make sufficiently gen- like domain general decisions mm-hmm. that are on par with humans. I mean, it, it's sort of hard to it's, it's sort of hard to speak about the future because it's like I have very wide error bars on all my like estimates. But I could like give scenarios where it becomes an issue that AIs are smarter than humans. I think that sounds fine. I think for what it's worth, I think Enosh is playing the skeptic just to drive the conversation. Right. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to find out why a listener who is not familiar with the Miri would would be worried at all uh, that that this is something to worry about. Oh yeah, I guess I just feel like I'm sort of speaking in in like abstractions. I think I think that's fair because I mean we don't have concrete examples to point to, right? You're talking about. I mean, right now, yeah, we're top dog. We can still process all the decisions that any AI that we're building, well, I guess for the most part, we, we're, not, we're not yet consulting AIs for, for decisions about important things that it's going to give us answers that we have no idea how to, how to interpret. And so, you know, as long as we're top dog, it's not that scary. But if we're building the top dog that's going to be usurping us, we want to make sure it plays well with us. I am interested to hear the examples that you're thinking of, though. Yeah, okay. So like one example, your basic like AI breaks out of the, out of the virtual machine it's running on scenario. I mean, you could imagine that uh, an AI system has goals, like its goal is to cure cancer, and it like is sufficiently intelligent that it can model the world around it, and in particular, the comp- model the computer that it's running on, and model the fact that it could like make a buffer overflow attack, uh, gain like root access to the computer it's on, gain access to the internet, transmit its code over the internet to other computers, take over those computers, and then use like this vastly more computational resources to achieve its goals 
even better, which is what the humans apparently wanted. Couldn't we turn off the computers that it's on? You could further imagine that the AI like has a model of the shutdown button, right? It like understands the fact that if the human presses the shutdown button, then the AI won't get to uh, pursue its goals. So if the AI is currently pursuing its goals and has a model of this fact, it has a very strong incentive to disable the shutdown button. So Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think, would say, I'm channeling my inner, his, his version, and he would just say, why don't you just shoot the computer? Or turn off all the computers in the, in the country. I mean, if it came down to that, I think his, I mean, especially if it's just black boxed, it might have a shutdown button that's like an emergency stop, or it's just literally plugged into the wall. And when you unplug it, you know, there's no, he would just, I imagine he would say like, well, you know, it needs electricity. We control the electricity. We win. So (laughs) in the worst case scenario, we could shut down every electricity generator in the U.S. And so every computer would come to a stop. I don't see him. I don't see Tyson granting that it could get that bad, but (laughs) it's not an entirely bad strategy. It's just like, I actually don't know how to implement that strategy, like, feasibly. I mean, so one thing that might be said is, well, the human will watch the AI as it thinks. And if the AI starts to think about disabling the shutdown button or, or like, disabling the power grid big uh, red lever thing, like, the human watches the AI think this and at that moment shuts down the AI. But this is, like, not, this is sort of, like, not a real... This is not a real design. Especially since we apparently will not be able to see what thoughts a thing an AI is thinking. Yeah, we don't know how we don't know how to do transparency, like we don't know how to know what the AI is thinking. We don't know how to like scale this thing of having a human watch over the AI. As I as I mentioned, if the human is just sort of watching the, every decision that the AI makes, this is like not gaining you that much. You're still like taking up the human's time. So you need some way of like leveraging human oversight more efficiently. And it's like not it's not at all obvious how you how you do that. So what avenues are being explored to do this? Right. So there's there's research on how to make AI systems more interpretable, more transparent. Uh, there's a little bit of this research already existing in, in mainstream machine learning. Largely I think just because people want to know what's going on in their AI systems. I think you can Google like what a con what a convnet learns or something like that which visualizes like if you have a neural net that classifies images you can see what a no- what features a node is responding to in an image so that's kind of cool largely it's just entirely open to make ai systems have the property that when it outputs a decision you can be like okay why did you actually make that decision what factors influence that decision uh, what's what's your reasoning? How could it have gone differently, etc.? Well, I was just going to say, like, I feel like anyone who's still skeptical of, yeah, why can't we just read its thoughts? Why doesn't it just print it out in English on the screen? Well, I mean, if you're not a computer person, it might not be super clear why that's super impo- like borderline impossible with what we can do now, as far as I understand. But the other, I think, impediment to that is even if you're pr- equipped to understand you know, again, AlphaGo's search tree of how it came to make a certain decision about a move. If it's a if it's a more broad machine, and you're gonna try and just follow its thoughts as it's thinking them on the screen, and even if it's even if it's coming to you in human friendly English, the machine's still operating way faster than you are, and so you're running on 150 hertz, and the machine's running on theoretically 300 million. So it's 
there's just going to be so much more content there than you could ever hope to cover. Well, imagine even just trying to watch a uh, a human neural network work, like a regular uh, squishy brain, even though it's thinking at the same rate you are, if you're trying to watch all the little neural nodes lighting up and interpret what that's happening as signals are shooting back and forth, it's going to take you a lot longer than someone just thinking things. Even if you were just like listening to their thought stream in a way that they didn't even have access to themselves, it's going to be just this huge mess, right? Because right. you don't get a thought stream, you get a map of which neurons are being lit up. Yeah, in my analogy, I was I was just imagining you had some magic way of listening to their thoughts, but even oh, if to you their could, actual thoughts, yeah, and oh. even if you could, and it was like in your understandable English, it would still just be this huge mess, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you ask a person why they did a thing, they don't they don't really know. But that's sort of that's different than a computer. A computer should know why it's doing it's what it's doing, but it's it's answer is going to be very complicated. Am I is this making it all technical accuracy sense? <laughs> uh, yeah, it made sense to me. I, I mean, right. We, as you're saying, it's a, we we sort of hope that like you can do better with an AI system than than like with a human brain by default, because the human brain is not at all optimized for uh, transparency. Whereas we can, if we want, try to optimize for transparency. Yeah, the human brain isn't even optimized for transparency to itself. Yeah. I mean, you can get people to confabulate answers for why they did things, even when you know with 100% accuracy that they're that they're making it up. There's all those fun experiments where split brain ones, or the split brains, or even where they've you know they're they're intentionally stimulating parts of your brain, mm. and your your hand goes up, mm. and you ask them, hey, why why'd your hand go up? Oh, I was I was waving for a bus. Right. Those are the kind of answers you get, yeah. even though they're sitting in a chair in a lab, right? Yeah. So the person clearly has no idea why their arm went up. When when they're when they ask their brain why'd you do that, they get back some bullshit answer that sounds believable to them, even though it really shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you're right. I think ideally uh, an AI would be easier or would be more transparent with itself and hopefully with us. But there's, I'm assuming, just way too much to see, and it's coming at you too fast. Oh, uh, so what are the, some of the major limitations that uh, are cropping up in this field of making AIs friendly right now? Major limitations? Yes, uh, I know this is going to be a long, broad topic. Well, I mean, I could give... So some technical problems we're still struggling with are having a theory of counterfactuals. Can you, can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so it's a, it would be nice to have a theory of... Sort of like a general theory of what it means to say, what if I take this action? Or what if I take that action? Mm-hmm. Like, what if I run this code? Or what if I like throw this ball? Or whatever. It sort of sounds like a silly question or something, but if you try to write down computer code to answer this question, it's like a little bit less obvious how to do it correctly in general. Uh, it, 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 might, it might take a little while to motivate that, but that's one question that we're, that we're still stuck on. Uh, the transparency thing is like a big obstacle. So I could, I could list more technical problems or I could talk about on the meta level what's 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 difficult about this. Sure, go meta. We like meta. So on the meta level of like why isn't the research why can't the research just be easy? It's just like a it's, it's sort of like a weird domain where we're sort of working with objects that don't exist yet. Like we're trying to reason about very intelligent systems. You know, we can do math and then we're interacting with real math, real logical structure but it's not clear whether the math is accurately representing what will happen in the real world. We can interact with real-world world systems, like current AI technology, but then it's not clear whether the things that are important when you're working with existing technology are the same things that will be important when you're working in 10 or 50 years with much more advanced systems. 
So it's sort of like we're trying to do science on things that we can't directly get our hands on. That sounds like a major obstacle. How the hell do you work around that sort of thing? Uh, try really hard. <laughs> Stare at the whiteboard for an hour. Wow, okay. Uh, we, we rely a lot on what, what sort of looks like philosophy in the sense that we like reason at a high level about what we expect will be the important bits of some problem and then like try to figure out what our assumptions are and like say, well... If we make this assumption, then what will happen? And then if we make the opposite assumption, what will happen? You know, and so on. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that that sounds like a good, or that sounds like the way to spend time, right? You're asking yourself, uh, you'll you'll say, all right, given this, what happens? And then you pursue that for as long as until you feel like you've hit a good stopping point. And then, okay, but what if we didn't do that and we did this instead? So, yeah, that seems pretty straightforward to me. I mean, well, not obviously the details, but the, the, the avenue, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, what are what are the any significant advances or changes in thinking in the past few years? Uh, so, Paul's work has been very cool. Uh, another thing is, I guess it was maybe towards at the end of the, this past summer, uh, Mary released a paper called Logical Induction, which uh, was a major major advance from our perspective uh, in that it solves. Uh, what we were calling the problem of logical uncertainty, or solved it to some extent. I'll try to give a short explanation. So there's actually two kinds of uncertainty, perhaps. Um, One kind of uncertainty is empirical, which is like, I didn't see enough in the world to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I, I show you a box, and there's like two buttons on it, and there's also some lights on the side, and I'm like, okay, if you press button A, which lights will light up? And if I press button B, which lights will light up? And you're like, I don't know, I can't see inside the box. How am I supposed to know which buttons hook up to which lights? Mm-hmm. So this is empirical uncertainty. It's like, you know what could be in the box. It could be like wires, or it could just be dirt, or it could be whatever. But you don't know what's in the box because you didn't see what's in the box. You're uncertain about what's inside the box. There's a different kind of uncertainty, which is like computational or logical uncertainty, where I could show you what's in the box. I could show you in detail what's in the box. Like I could show you when you press button A, the box is going to run this computer program that does these operations Mm -hmm. and then light up lights depending on what happens. Even if you saw exactly what was in the box physically, you still might not know what will happen because you can't like figure out what the program will do. Like you can't perform the computations fast enough to know what's going to happen. So you're still uncertain. So that's that's different than not just having enough information. Saying I, you know, if I had more information, I could make this decision better. You're saying logical uncertainty is if I had more time or more processing power, I could use I could use this information. I have it all. I just can't work with it fast enough to give you the answer. Is, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Cool. And uh, how did how did this help with that problem? Oh, so logical induction was an algorithm uh, discovered by Scott Garibrandt, which is it's not at all a practical algorithm, but it gives a theoretical characterization of like what we mean by doing well at logical uncertainty, like what it means to do what it means to like reason effectively about computations huh. that are too long for you to run. I'm assuming there's just an inferential gap there that's impossible to cross in five minutes. Is that right? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that might be the case. That, okay. That's understandable. I, I suppose is this is this paper available for us to to link to if anyone wants to give it give a stab at it? Yeah, it's online. Cool. And there's a blog post. Awesome. Yeah. Then yeah, we'll we'll let the listeners decide if they can make heads or tails of the of the particulars. So, what personally would you like to see happen over the next I don't know five ten years? I would like to tie to that. Not just what would you like to see, but what do you anticipate seeing? Yeah. What are your expectations? Uh, so what I would like to see is more, so first of all, more people thinking on the object level about AI safety. So people like tackling technical problems that have been laid out or people thinking on their own from scratch about how to do AI safety. I anticipate this happening to a fair extent, but I also anticipate it being hard to like figure out what the field of AI safety should look like and sort of how to judge advances and how to coordinate between research groups. Is that I imagine that coordination is probably I guess what I I'm trying to think of a more appropriate word than problematic. I mean there's a lot of people I think that, you know, if if there's money to be made somewhere by especially, you know, if it's something like uh building the first self-driving car, you know, if it's Google or Uber, someone's going to cash in big, right? So that's obviously not uh, general intelligence, but I'm, you know, somebody who is trying to win this race probably won't be likely to help their, help their competitors keep up, right? Or, or, does that, or is, that, is that a bad guess on my part? Is there actually more cooperation in the field than I would guess? So you're, 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 you're talking about the like AI capabilities research field. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, is it one unified field, or are there different institutions working on this that either are helping each other or are not helping each other? Uh, do you, you mean safety or, or capability? Capability. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, capabilities. There's lots of there's lots of research groups, right? There's like Google, Google Brain, Google DeepMind. There's OpenAI. There's uh, there's Facebook, Uber. Yeah. Well, I I think there's a fair number of companies that have. Um, substantial AI research groups, and there's also academia. Yeah, that's that's my interpretation as well. I guess what I was curious about is are are these groups helping each other out? I imagine everything with Google is helping each other out, but I mean, is if if one company makes a breakthrough, does do the others find out about it when their product comes to market, or do they find out about it beforehand and everyone's trying to help each other up? I see. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know exactly. My impression is something like most things are at least. Well, I guess I wouldn't really know, you know, because if it's secret, then it's secret. I would sort of guess that a a, a pretty large proportion of things are at least talked about in publications. I mean, researchers like to publish, like to publish results. Right on. That makes sense. I guess I'm not sure what my... I would I might have guessed that there would be more competition rather than cooperation involved, but it doesn't have to be really either or. And you're right, like current secrets, if they're out there, which they may very well may be, we wouldn't know. But I meant like, is there a history of of breakthroughs only coming out after one company has quote won a race or something, or is it? Yeah, I think you kind of said that there's an impulse to publish among actual researchers and other people can read their stuff and they want it to be read. So that makes sense. Yeah, I think we're we're. At least for the time being, it's not the case that like I don't I don't remember when the AlphaGo paper was published. I think uh, I think it was definitely before. Uh, am I making this up? I think it was before. It was well before they uh, had the like match with uh, Lisa Dull, the like the the go the go champion. Which like just because they published the paper doesn't mean someone can go and like 
do exactly the same thing they did and scoop them. But right, it's not the case that all, all like we we it hasn't. I I don't know that it's been the case that we've seen external signs of DeepMind, for instance, making large amounts of progress, but not knowing what the like technical stuff behind it was. Uh, we did have this thing that we wanted to touch on, though, which you brought up. I wanted to ask you in your uh, in your email to Inyash back here. There was this uh, paragraph that jumped out at me that I wanted to spend some time, basically line by line, going through. I'm not sure if you can pull it up or if you remember it all. But you'd you'd said if I have an agenda, it's actually not about that, uh, which was AI safety research uh, and popularizing that, I think. But you said it's about the meta, namely promoting the message among EAs and rationalists of actually trying to figure out trying to figure things out, develop your own inside view, build your own capacity, debug your friends, informed giving, entrepreneurial spirit, and a, and a handful of others. But that, that stuff, that really jumped out at me, and I thought that'd be a lot of fun to talk about. And it sounded like you wanted to talk about it, too. So I wanted to get to that. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. So we can we can talk about that however you want. You're welcome just to kind of go through however you'd like to approach this. If you want us to ask you each, each one, and you can respond in, t- in turn, or if you want to just talk about it for 15 minutes, that's completely fine with me, too. Whatever you'd like. What what is it that you're most passionate about? What is it that really fires you up about this? Well, I, I actually have a question. Sure. Do you, do do you feel like you're well grounded or like well in touch with the like broader EA rationality community? Definitely in touch. Definitely more so than the average person. Right. The well grounded is an interesting question because I don't I don't know how to judge that. Uh, I'm I'm not like one of the people who spends time on the forums discussing these issues. For example, I don't even really lurk uh, that much. My 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 exposure is more uh, more through reading other blogs and seeing it referenced and talked about there than actually being directly involved. But I could probably follow what you're trying to say. If I can't, then I would uh, stop and ask you for elaboration. Oh, okay. Actually, I was trying. I wanted to see if I could get information out of you that I didn't know. Oh, okay. That That is unlikely, <laughs> but it, well, if, if there is, I can try. Well, I might be sheltered. I, would, I wouldn't know if I were sheltered. Right. I mean, or, or, or not sheltered, but like have my head in the hole. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, I guess I'll just jump in, but but like you should interrupt me. I mean, in a, in a word, the thing is ambition. Like it would be cool if EAs and rationalists were ambitious about figuring out like what's actually going on in the world, how it actually works, like what, what, what we should actually be doing. Yeah. What, what do you mean by what's going on in the world? Because the world is really big and there's a lot of things going on in the world. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, so there's like this, there's this effect where like you, we, we sort of just like by def- humans by default, it seems to me like copy the ontologies used by other humans mm-hmm. in the sense that if someone has thought through like what are the top five causes that EAs should think about? Not just the like causes that they produce, but the ways of thinking about the of, about cause prioritization, the ways of like the ways of like condensing the world into a small enough representation that you can think about it with the human mind, mm-hmm. are sort of like overfit to that person's to, to like the way that that person is doing it, and then other people sort of copy that, like copy the ontology, yeah. copy the lens. Well, I yeah that. I mean, that is true. I totally agree with you. But on the other hand, it's very hard not to do that because someone has already done all this hard work and identified a a problem that needs a lot of work, uh, like, for example, the whole elimination of malaria thing. And you can spend, you know, the next however many years trying to find other ways to think about this thing and find other causes. But when there's something as 
easy as, not necessarily easy, but when there's something as concrete and something that you can do things about as malaria, it almost seems like it'd be, for the average person, a better investment to just try to go out and fix that rather than if everyone were to spend all their time trying to think about better ways to think about this, right? Or do you think that everyone should be doing that? Well, I agree with that, like, certainly in theory and also just, like, in practice. Yeah, for lots of people, the right thing to do is, like, make as much money as they can, live a happy life, and, like, give a bunch of money to the cause that seems good. But I think I, I think basically, like, right, I, I, what I'm trying to do is, like, a pendulum swing, mm-hmm. where I think that the pendulum is is way too far on along that axis, like, in that direction. I see. That there's there's nobody left now thinking about these things. Well, it's not no one, but it's, like, inadequate. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, cer- certainly in my view, I don't know... I mean, there are a handful of things. I probably came across like the idea of of combating aging independently before I heard about Aubrey de Grey, but I I don't know if I would have on my own thought of malaria as a great thing to work on right now with my money. And I did sort of just delegate that work to other effective altruists uh, as far as the, the, the cognitive legwork to say, you know what? Malaria, that's what we should be focusing on right now, or at least some of them, right? Yeah. So I, I think I see, is that... Does that relate at all to what you were saying when you said that you were interested in like trying to get people promoting the idea of getting people to develop their own inside view, or is that a different concept? Yeah, that's that's roughly the concept. Yeah. Can I ask you, like, have you done uh, thinking along those lines of of where best to spend EA efforts, for example? Yeah, I do some of this. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I I mean, it's it's sort of it's sort of like biased towards what's relevant to my decision making. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you mind if I ask uh, what? what you think would be a good focus? I'm super tempted to be like, the focus is actually figuring out what the focus should be. Ah, uh, okay. But, but, oh, like I actually think that. Okay. You think that there's other low-hanging fruit that we are missing because people aren't looking for it? Yeah, I think that the bottleneck is not really, this is sort of, this is sort of not true and sort of complicated, but like to a first-order factor, to a first-order approximation, so the bottleneck is not money and isn't even thinking of plans as such it's like having people who can do stuff and can do stuff that's important and hard and and like a little bit weird that's a very good point because i know i for one don't really feel like going to a different country and working on things that are really hard when i could be staying here in the u.s doing you know accounting or whatever and podcasting and hanging out with my friends yeah i i don't think that that's bad like i think it's great to like yeah doing things that you want is like that you want to do is like probably a pretty great policy (laughs) right if i if i understood what you said earlier about you think that a good effort right now would be actually thinking about what we should be working on rather than just like finding things to work on we should actually be dedicating actual time and effort into figuring out what we should be putting time and effort into that makes a lot of sense to me in that I could imagine looking back in 50 years and being like, man, if only we had thought of this 50 years ago, we could have taken care of this, you know, you know, earlier on, or it would have been a lot easier 50 years ago or something like that is part of your concern there that we might miss what in hindsight was an obvious opportunity or something that would have been totally within our grasp, you know, in the past, uh, in retrospect. Yes, that sounds right to me. I, I mean, that fits what's in my head, but like to some extent, it's not that I think that we. Sh- it's not that I think that we are lacking for plans. It's more that I think that to like. Maybe I think like in order to do stuff, you have to have thought through 
strat like you have to have thought through strategy yourself. Hmm. Maybe maybe I'm not sure I believe that. It seems it just it seems to me that coming up with a new thing to focus on de novo is I mean it's nearly impossible. You would you would probably be better off just using a random number generator and using that as a basis where most people when they find something new to focus on it's because they are working in a particular area and they notice something that is you know kind of relevant to their area or adjacent which other people just haven't been paying attention to but it's not like it's not like you can just come up with a problem that people haven't been looking at from your your living room it's something you stumble across by being by working in a field right i want to say really quick strong disagree yeah certainly when you said might as well use a random number generator okay like uh Sophie, i want you to weigh in on this as well but i think i can i can imagine a counterfactual world in which no one was talking about aging mm-hmm. right now and it just it didn't come up for another 20 years from now see i can't and- actually imagine that because people have been talking about ending aging since Fuck, I don't know, the beginning of humanity. It's well, been the foundation of many myths. But like as far as like this is actually a problem we should start attacking right now. Like I think it would be possible to have missed that that mark. And so with a maybe a little more reflective thought beforehand, they would have thought to do this twenty years ago. Something Oh well, I mean, I think they should have started twenty years ago, but I, I don't think it's for a lack of people having the idea. I just think it's for people thinking, well, this is technically a biological impossibility, so why bother? Well, I think that's the point, though, is that they're not spending enough time thinking about it or, you know, thinking this is currently an impossibility. Let's change that. You know, it's like we'll see it and be like this intractable problem, kind of like in uh, I hate to always bring up methods of rationality when we're talking about rationality stuff, (laughs) but like every wizard's feelings about death. Right. It's, It's just this thing that they look at. Oh, yeah, that's impossible. And they never they never question that. So I think that it's certainly imaginable for me that someone or a a possible world where people had, went longer before they thought about attacking aging as a particular problem. Yeah, but I mean, we have a lot of experience with death. It's something we rub up against all the time. It's we would have never thought to implement latrines in uh, in the in the South if we weren't people living in the South and seeing people struggling with anemia. This is referencing an, an old book about you know when when they started implementing um, large scale public sanitation projects in the in the South. That's fine. I think I'm using a real example because I haven't actually put in this legwork that you, that Svi was mentioning and thought of an original one myself yet. Okay. So I, maybe I'll do that, and if I can think of something good, I'll get back to you and be like, "See, this is what I was talking about. I'm glad I thought about this." <laughs> it's not this, like original is great, and also like there's like a thing where like yes, we've we've thought of, we've like known about aging as a problem forever, but like there's a pretty big difference between like kind of knowing that it's a problem and like actually doing actually like making progress on the problem. Yeah. But you're you're talking more about finding new problems to focus on, yes? Okay, that's I think that's not really what I mean. Okay, I, I misunderstood I, you. I, I sort of, yeah, I sort of. So in, in the email, the last sentence in that paragraph was this claim is not well articulated in my head. Right. Hmm. Is it more about doing research to make sure that we're focused on the right thing? Well, maybe maybe the real question is just why haven't we already solved X okay. for various values of X? Okay, I mean, there's some reason. I guess when I trace that back, it's, it doesn't feel like X is a problem that can't be solved. It feels more like no one is really trying. Okay. How does that strike you? I think that makes sense, and that, that strikes me as, as, as sensible. I don't, it's not like no one is really trying to cure cancer, though, but it still isn't cured. I think that's a different—at least I'm, I'm painting it differently in my head. I'm, I'm just thinking of, like— like you were saying, you know, aging's been an intractable problem forever. I think it was probably likely that people thought of it as this will be an intractable problem forever, long after it actually was an intractable problem. All right, what right? about poverty? 
that was probably a problem longer than pe- I think that was probably a problem that people could be making progress towards fixing longer than for more time than was necessary before people could actually have been working on it, right? Maybe. I think there. I mean, people have been charitable forever too, but maybe not in an organized, useful way. I I guess maybe I just have a ridiculously high bar for really trying. <laughs> like, I like this is totally not about sincerity. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm sure like many many people are sincere about various problems. Mm-hmm. I think I I heard a. Uh, interesting example of uh, trying in the push versus pull sense where a celebrity who is like outraged by what's happening in Syria, uh, they're like, well, what do I have? What tools do I have? I'm a celebrity. I have a microphone. A lot of people listen to me. So I will get up and I will talk about Syria and I will say we should do something about this. And that's more like a push. It's I, I find out what strengths I have and I try to use these on the problem. And that doesn't work very well because those strengths are, aren't very applicable to the problem, but you can't say they're not trying. They're doing what they can with what they have. Whereas the pull approach is, what is the problem? The problem is that there is this civil war happening in Syria. How can we fix the problem? And you look at to what solutions are possible, and then how can we implement these solutions? And then what can I personally do to help implement these solutions? And then how can I improve my skills in order so I have the ability to implement these solutions? And so you work backwards from what needs to be done and then start uh, working from there rather than working forwards from what do I have and trying to use what you have. And one of them is a lot easier than the other, but uh, I, I, the pull one really seems to me like the one that is more likely to work. Is that, is that what you mean by actually trying? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly that's – uh, yeah, thank you. That was great. Okay. Um, yeah, pulling – yeah, backchaining from the goal to like what actions would actually help. You know, like, okay, so poverty – I, this is this might be the following might be dumb because I haven't done any research, but like I, I could imagine a story where it's like, well, poverty, why can't we solve it? Well, we can just send them send people food. Um, that's fine, but it doesn't really maybe it doesn't scale. So you're like, okay, maybe we can uh, make like mass produced cheap hydroponic farms or something. Or I, I mean, maybe that's like a bad plan for various reasons. For instance, maybe it's a bad plan because warlords will just like steal any resources you send that's like all right well how can we deal with that no i like that i think that that's a different framing that and i hadn't heard it phrased the way either of you guys put it until just now and i think that's a really good great way of thinking about how to solve problems especially if they sound intractable right it just sort of uh do your best to reverse engineer from like a space from the solution and then say okay well how do we get from there to here rather than just be like this is a problem, and like that's going to be the only thing you do is just declare that there's a problem, right? Oh, the, I mean, or, or or say the first thing that comes to your mind as far as a solution, too, right? The real problem with that is that it's daunting as fuck. It's like not only do you have to do tons of research and work to figure this out, you then have to basically dedicate your life to chipping away at it. Whereas it's much easier to say these are the strengths I have. Let me just push with what I got. So are you are you trying to advocate for people to be more willing to bite that bullet and dedicate their lives to hard problems like that? Maybe, but I, at least at the moment, I think no. Okay. I think it's a hard issue. I think that, okay, one, one hypothesis for what me, might be the right thing to do in that situation. Like, I think it's, you're probably not going to solve the problem unless you do that. Basically, because, like, people have already tried the obvious things, except that's not really true. Like, if you're going to make progress, you need to, like, be doing something weird, and you're going to need to, like, level up your skills. Uh, I do have a quite general policy of, like, only do things you actually want to do. 
So was the question more about how to want to want to do something? Yes, but only if you want to figure that out. Like, <laughs> I mean, at, at this point, since you're trying to, you, you already want that, so it seems like what you're trying to do is figure out a way to make other people want that as well. Uh, I don't want to make anyone want anything. I, I guess, I, I guess, like, for instance, one thing I keep coming back to is just, like, it's totally fine to keep doing exactly what you were doing before, but let's just, like, acknowledge that it's pretty interesting that, like, a line of logical reasoning that you can totally follow implies that your actions don't make sense. Right. It doesn't mean you have to be like, oh, well, here's this, this line of logical reasoning. I guess I just have to like quit my fun job and like move to another country or whatever, like stop doing things that I enjoy and start doing things that I hate, but that are like the correct action. Mm -hmm. It's like an interest. It's, it's just like interesting that, uh, like preferences don't align with, what we like explicitly reason out as a good idea. Do you think that's because we have multiple preferences or because we are, as Robin Hansen says, lying to ourselves so that we can signal our uh, good qualities while remaining, you know, doing the things that are selfishly good for our genes and pleasing to our emotions? Probably yes to both. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, yeah, it, everything is super complicated. So do you think people... Do you think the world would be better if people did uh, accept the the reasoning of their logical minds and and actually do the thing that that their ideals tell them to do? The image that formed in my mind when you said that was not good. Okay, like accepting logical reason. Like it's, I, I may I, this is like probably reading too much into the language, but there's this thing of like, should I accept this logical reasoning and do what it tells me, or like, can, why can't I get myself to go to the gym or something? Mm -hmm. You know, there's like the I who thinks I should go to the gym or thinks I should like do AI research or whatever. And there's the myself who like doesn't want to. Yeah. The more interesting thing, at least to me for, at the moment, is like staring at that and trying to figure out like what's the deal. That, like, I don't know if this is even possible, but it seems like it might be possible to like have a person who your logical reasoning is directly hooked up to your system one. Like directly hooked up to your like visceral desires. Uh, can we quickly uh, explain that system one is basically your visceral desires and your things that you want and do out of reflex, right? And your automatic judgments. Yeah, system one is a very broad catch-all term which sort of like obscures lots of differences. I mean, there's like fast heuristic reasoning, uh, there's like fast visualization, there's like, fa there's like deep desires, there's like you know, you can go on and on. There's like lots of stuff. It's the more on. subconscious stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a catch-all term. Yeah. yeah, for the subconscious. Like so. So an example I keep coming back to is uh, chess. Mm -hmm. Like chess involves logical reasoning. You're sort of like playing out variations in your head uh, and trying to reason. Like, well, my king side is weak, so I should move my knight or my bishop over to protect it or whatever. Like, how can I get a queen to this position? That'll be a good attack or something. But there's but at least when I play chess, it's not like I do some logical reasoning and I come to a conclusion and then like another part of me is like, uh, yeah, but I don't want to. Um, there's a thing where like the logical reasoning is directly hooked up with the desire to win right. such that it, it, it's like it's not even a dialogue. It's just like a full you're like a full stack person where like the logical reasoning is like like 
the, the system one desire to win has like climbed into the to the like big robot mech suit of the of like system two explicit reasoning logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're is that what you're hoping to get to to be able to align the two systems on in all cases? I think my ontology is probably wrong, so like that 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 vision probably doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, it might. I, I, prima facie, I don't see why it wouldn't make sense. I, I can see that in the actual implementation, there could be problems if we have conflicting terminal values, which I think we very well might in, in, inside us. But it, on the face of it, we may not necessarily. So that could, in theory, be a thing that could work, right? Definitely in theory, okay. yes. <laughs> uh, I definitely don't know if in practice. So we talked, I don't know, a while ago, not in this conversation, but about the right thing to do after a good logical argument and what you want to do slash will end up doing anyway. And, you know, like this can be illustrated with like, you know, a, a pretty heavy handed thought experiment. Like say the house is on fire and you're running a daycare. And for some reason, all of your neighbor's kids are in a stroller right by the door and you can get them all outside safely, or you can run to the other room and grab your kid and get it outside safely. There's a difference between like what you ought to do, you know, four babies saved, greater than one baby saved, therefore save four babies, versus like what you as a human being could live with and would want for, I guess, your own mental health. And uh, I guess like generalizing some rules like, you know, always save the four and forgo your, your own would just not really work with like the way the rest of your brain is wired. And I don't know if you'd even want to rewire yourself to be different given how that would just cascade through everything else. You know, if you didn't really care that much more about your own kids than your neighbor's kids, you might not want to not want to change the kind of person who would be that indifferent. Right. I think if society is set up well, they would want to encourage you to do that though. Because from every, the outside view, everyone else is going to say four babies are better than one. So they, in a good society, there would be some kind of, I would assume, if this is my own uh, personal bias speaking, maybe I'm wrong. But I would think in a good society, there would be a lot of like hero worship that would go towards someone who saved the four neighbor children instead of their own child. And a lot of praise of that person and how great they are. And maybe that would help encourage people more to to overcome their own biases towards their own kid. Yeah, and that might help like just help you overcome the the more definite grief of losing your own kid versus losing four stranger kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just like part of our wiring. But you're right, we could try and compensate that with society. I don't know if this is worth diving into or not, but there's another way to like frame like the, tr- the standard trolley problem where you're at, the, you're at the train tracks, you can pull the switch to divert a train track to kill only one person because it's currently on track to kill five. I'm paraphrasing because it's, I'm sure most people have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, look up trolley problem. The standard framing is that you're the person at the switch. Mm-hmm. I think another way to think about it is you don't know which person in this scenario you are. How should people act, yeah. right? And that's sort of, I think, what you're getting at, that there's a different, um, I guess, I don't know if I'm getting... Uh, I think I'm talking in circles. I'm going to just uh No, I get what you're that. saying. You, as, <laughs> as an outside person, you want him to pull the switch, to divert it to just the one person instead of the five. Yeah, or, you know, the alternate scenario where they're pushing somebody in front of it, right? You know, if you're the person being pushed, you don't want to be the, you don't want them to do that probably, or you might because you feel like saving five is worth more than your own. But like we're like, like those also kind of just pump some intuitions that we're not necessarily built in ways that conform to, to solid logical reasoning, right? Mm-hmm. Not to say that we shouldn't work to better ourselves, but just the fact that you might just be psychologically ruined for life. I feel like we're getting pretty far afield here. Sorry. 
we we sort of do that, but I try not to do that when we have guests on the line. Hope, hopefully, oh, I'm completely checked out. Uh, <laughs> well, I thought that I thought the issues you were raising were pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's like uh, the thing I th- I thought that actually I couldn't. I'm not sure I knew who was speaking. Uh, maybe it was Eniash was sort of giving a decision theoretic argument for pulling the switch yeah. or like a, a Rawlsian veil. Yeah, yeah, that was me, Dibs. Steven, sorry. <laughs> Not letting Enosh steal my, my intellectual credit there. Damn it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Although I didn't actually invent that idea, so uh, well, I stole it too. Anyway, sorry. If we have to credit Rawls, we'll do that. It's, it's interesting that that's actually, I mean, maybe it's not interesting. That, that, at least that, that seems to me to be a distinct argument from the argument about like societal norms. Oh, yes. Like there's there's like I think I don't want to quit my fun job, but I think decision theoretically I ought to do this other thing because people in my I want people in a situation analogous to me to to my situation I want them to behave in some yeah. way. There's a different thing which is like society has like installed a norm and I'm just gonna like follow this norm or else I'll be ashamed. Uh-huh. I think that's, I, I see the distinction you're making, but as far as, I don't know necessarily if it's either or, you know, it's, it's not like your, your, your life is best spent. I'm not sure what example we're using as a the alternative to like quitting your job or, you know, the alternative to doing what you're doing and doing some charity with your current lifestyle versus, you know, what, like leaving the country and doing something else. But even if there was like another optimal way that you could maximize Udalons on earth with your life. Uh, but it would make you miserable. I don't know if that's the kind of thing you'd want to generalize either, right? Like, I think that there's there's a midline to where, and I think that's kind of what effective altruism is all about, to where, look, live your life, be happy, but do as much good as you can while doing that. Don't give, you know, like, the logical implication is kind of like Peter Singer, right? Where you give until it hurts, and then when you're suffering as much as the people that you're helping, mm-hmm. then it's okay to stop giving. Or, you know, if you're suffering to the point to where there's, I think, the obvious caveat to where, you know, if you can't afford... Uh, uh, your car to keep going to work to keep earning money well then that's where you stop right or whatever that point is but that's not what's good for our personal psyches you know that's that's exhausting we don't necessarily feel like we're getting everything we want out of life so it correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like the the whole ea goal is to to find that that midline well i can't yeah i don't i don't know what what ea thinks that's fair yeah i didn't mean to, uh, to make you the spokesperson. person as, <laughs> as, a, as a blob um but like at least for me, I guess, so, So, I mean, the thing you said might be right, two things. The, the less important thing is, like, uh, it still does, just on general principles, feel sort of bad to have this situation where it's, like, two systems that have, like, made a, a treaty, like, made sort of a tense treaty where it's, like, well, I, I want to, like, be happy and do fun activities. Also, Also, I'm going to, like, uh, bow to the social norm of giving as much money as I can. I something. wish that was a social norm, <laughs> but no. You, well, but your it's, taken. A, it's, it's a norm amongst. That's kids. right. Yeah. I, I, this this is probably too much of a tangent, but I'll just like plant a flag that I'm sort of wary of. I'm wary of norms. I'm wa- I'm wary of norms as like as a mechanism of it's so, it's sort of like exerting power over. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I totally know what you mean, but that's that's exactly the point of norms. It is to exert power over people. And so do you think that there should be I mean, what what methods do we have for exerting power over others? There's social norms where we, you know, shame them and use other other psychological things and then there's direct physical uh violence. 
I mean, I, I prefer the social norm ones, honestly, but are you saying that no one should have any ability to to modify others through things like uh, social pressure? Well, I agree that it's better than violence. Uh, I agree. I agree that you need them for a large class of things. For example, having a norm against violence uh, or having a norm against like wandering around the street yelling in people's faces or mm-hmm. something. A norm against like barging into private meetings, whatever. You know, like, yeah, I mean, it's not that no norms make sense. It's more that like, uh, like if we're talking about the the ways that EA as a movement or rationality as, a, as like a, as a community or movement or like ideology or whatever... If we're talking about the ways that those things are going to actually like make a difference, like actually actually change the course of history, that is that seems to me to be heavily heavily biased towards things that are like weird and hard. And doing things that are weird and hard seems to me to be very destructively interfered with by norms. Okay. Or or like by yeah, by being beholden to norms. Okay, so our human nature is going to fight against these norms, is, is what you're saying? Um, norms can go against what our System 1 wants. Uh, they can also get, go against what our System 2 wants. Uh, they're just like a whole other system. Okay. I, I mean, this is, is, they're like a this system is sort three. of a joke. Yeah, this, this is sort of a joke, but it might, be, it might just map on correctly to um, Super Ego, Ego, uh-huh. Id. I, I, really, I, I haven't read Freud, so I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like Super Ego is shame, norms social roles, etc. Ego is like conscious detention, verbal, explicit reasoning. And then it is like deep desires. So so you're saying that we should uh, examine the norms more or that norms in general are bad or that norms in general should be examined much more because they can be con- destructive? Like- well, so I, I, I don't have an opinion because I'm in the like figure things out stage. I, I don't know what the right thing to do is, but I'm like very, I'm like, a little scared and like very wary of I think that that makes sense I mean certainly like norms work as a great shorthand to like that we're not all reinventing the wheel every you know every human life or every five years however long you want to examine these things you know we shouldn't spend you know even an hour uh, well maybe I don't know like we don't want to spend a lot of time thinking man how about that that norm against like killing and eating, eating people you know <laughs> some things make sense to leave but I think that norms are a great uh, super convenient path to laziness right oh this is this has been established you know so we're not we're not gonna even think about it so i think that's that to me is the big concern and like you know this kind of ties back in loosely you know thinking about like aging sucks and it's intractable versus aging sucks and let's try and do something about it like the norm for a long time was it's intractable it's impossible let's not even think about it it took somebody at some point to say no fuck it let's actually see if we can why why is it intractable so i I, I kind of get the feeling that we are being very circuitous and saying uh, meta things without saying object level things. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is it seems to me like there is at least one specific norm that is common that you have a problem with, and I want to hear what that norm is. It's the eating people thing, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, sort of two processes were running in my head. One of them spit back, well, the norm of like thinking that when you have reached a logical conclusion then you should immediately force yourself using like willpower overrides to do something. This seems like a pretty strong, pervasive norm and also seems pretty destructive. I, I have seen some pushback on that norm uh, lately. I think the first time I saw it was a while ago with one of uh, Scott Alexander's posts back when he was still posting on Less uh, Wrong as Yvain. Ineos here with a quick interjection. 
It was actually Phil Goetz that wrote this article, not Scott Alexander. It's probably this sort of attribution error that leads to Abraham Lincoln having said everything. Sorry about that, and thanks to our awesome audio engineer, Kyle, for catching this. Where he pointed out that this is the sort of thing that gets us terrorists, that most terrorists are actually very well-educated and more of the engineer geeky type that we're used to, who uh, instead of... When you're uh, a peasant or just some uh, normal person going about their day-to-day life, you have these religious writings and they say some crazy things in them. But for the most part, you're like, yeah, this is my religion and I'm just going to go through my life and do some of the things it says, but ignore the, you know, obviously crazy part. Whereas once you're uh, an engineer and you've gone to Western schools and you learn things like the importance of uh, rationality and logic, you come back and you're like, well, when I examine my scriptures, it makes these claims. And these are, you know, these are true claims. And obviously, therefore, it follows that I should blow myself up or something, you know. And so it's taking uh, that sort of logic and following it and embracing those conclusions. And uh, he called it, I believe, mimetic immune disorder, that any mimetic system has this immune system in it as well that attacks destructive bad ideas like let's become uh, jihadists and, and, you know, keeps them far away from everyone else because there is in society this general immune disorder that's evolved over the centuries to prevent that. And when you introduce rationality into it without restarting completely from the very beginning, uh, you have sort of a immune disorder where that immune system is killed without the original ideas being neutralized. And therefore, it, it was kind of a, a decree of let's not uh, just immediately go with we have logic ourselves into this is a good idea and therefore we should go with it. If no one else is doing this, there might be a good reason for that. Just to paraphrase, it sounds like the claim was that a lack of indoctrination in the virtues of logical, I guess, of, of logical reasoning and following logic to its conclusions is one factor in the small number of like religious fanatics? Yes, that okay. most people are just regular people getting along because of the mimetic immune system. So I can see a case for that being made. Like, for example, the, the standard case against like abortion is like, oh, you're killing babies. Mm-hmm. If you really believed that, there'd be a lot more people shooting abortion doctors. Yes. The, so, the, the logical thing is there are murderers that have murder shops that open to fucking stop them. I mean, if there was an actual murderer that just took people in and killed them for money, we would, as a society, go over there and burn that shop down. Huh. I, I'm curious for you to weigh in on this. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. I I guess I don't have a model of terrorists. Right. I do, and mine's a little different. I, I, but I can see totally where that's coming from, but I don't know if I'm on board. With, like, I... I don't know if that's the ingredient right. or I mean, there, there's, I think there's other factors. I guess what I'm but. saying is I feel like there has been some pushback over the last few years. A lot of it's spearheaded by Scott Alexander saying, Hey, uh, maybe just logic, logic, rationalizing our way through things and following those things that we decide on is a bad idea for reasons that we aren't sure of yet, but we should just kind of respect that. Like, we don't know why exactly it is that we like to do this crazy thing and we avoid doing this other thing, but it's worked for millennia, so let's stick with that, even if it looks irrational and stupid. 
that's a very Scott Alexander kind of argument to make. I love it. It, it really <laughs> is. And it is also very unsatisfying because it's the same thing that leads you to uh, keeping the uh, the snitch in Quidditch, even though it is stupid. It's, well, we've done it for so long and we don't want to mess with that because there might be very good reasons for it. You yeah, know? it's a don't rock the boat mentality, but right. the boat needs rocking. So it's, it's really just like, I don't know, maybe not give... I don't know. That's it's, Well, it's a problem with transparency. You don't... The boat obviously needs rocking, but you... It's since we're not transparent, it's hard to say exactly what effect the rocking will have. And sometimes it's really good, like when we outlaw segregation and and other bad racial practices, which were just bad. There was there was no reason for these things. Uh, and then other times the effects are not quite so good. Yeah, fair enough. And it's really hard to tell beforehand which is which. That's the kind of problem we should be thinking about: how to how to tell <laughs> which is which beforehand. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think it's all very confusing. Like, my handle for this is Chesterton's fence, right? Like, you, you come across a fence in a, in a field, and you're like, well, I don't, I want to, like, farm the other side of the field. I'm just going to get rid of this fence. And then you find out that there's dragons on the other side of the fence, and that's why the fence was there. You, you, come, you, you shouldn't, like, tear down the fence before you know why it was there. So if there's, like, a fence around taking violent action because your ideology has implied that you should then like you should even despite all that logic you should still take great pause before succumbing to violence yeah. no that, that's a, a solid way to think about it i like that so i guess uh you're you're advocating for more ways to figure out what actually is harmful and what is useful i think this was slightly tangential to the thing i was trying to say but i also like this yes, i'm sorry i think i brought us down um, that that path <laughs> did you want to um re re what was the, the original quote that he sent us in the email? Well, I, I, I think we've touched on a lot of them. The one that we didn't talk about, but you mentioned very quickly in passing was like debugging your friends. Um, I don't know if you had more to say on what we were just talking about a moment ago, if you wanted to move on to that. But I was curious about, I think one of the first conversations we had on the podcast was raising the sanity water line, which is not all of my friends are into this. And so how do you, what is your approach maybe to debugging your friends? The motivation is like, Actually, like we don't know what the right things to do are. Even if we did know what the right things to do are, we're like not strong enough to do them. That's like fine, or, or it's not fine, but it's like it's not a thing to just like be ashamed of and then not do anything about, which is sort of like my default. <laughs> which is like sort of it's sort of upsetting because like we all want to become strong. Well, not we all. I, like a lot of people want to become stronger and do more cool stuff and do more important stuff, but like. It's actually pretty hard, and you actually need help from your friends. So, like, yeah, I, I mean, that's the broad. So, but. this is a supporting someone rather than imposing debugging. Yeah, I, I, my most central principle is like, don't do things to people that they don't want to have done to them. I mean, even if I'm talking about AI, AI risk, I sort of like I'm less paying attention to the logical arguments because the logical arguments are like pretty ironclad, at least in my opinion. But I'm more paying attention to like. What, whether the person actually wants to hear this, uh, like what they actually want for their lives. Like if they already want to like do the most important thing and they just like haven't come across these arguments, then I'll happily like go through logic. But if they have a good life, it, it could be that they're susceptible to the like social norm of following logical reasoning and then doing the actions implied by the logical reasoning, or at least feeling guilty if you don't do them. If they have that norm, it's just like straight up counterproductive for me to like ruin their day. Go into their 
yeah, like go into their head and install this like. Okay, so because you, you you feel like all you'll be doing is giving them more guilt rather than helping them. Yeah, and it's not it's not it's usually not it's not that useful information. Like they could figure it out themselves or like read Super Intelligence mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, the book uh, by Nick mm-hmm. Bostrom. I have a couple of examples to give that I think tie into sort of what you're saying with as far as being able to be supportive of people in of of the right mindset in a way that makes everyone better off. Like Will McCaskill, the director of the Center for Applied or the Center for Effective Altruism, he apparently had some years after he read Singer and was fully on board with like the I should feel bad all the time because I'm not a good enough charitable person after reading that where he had those years of guilt and then he met somebody who was I can't remember exactly whether they were both feeling guilty and they both decided, decided to do something about it. Or I think where McCaskill was giving silently, like he was giving a large portion, but he wasn't telling people about it. And it's like, it, it didn't really do much to make him feel that much better until he met one other person who was doing the same thing. And then they both just hit it off and they, and they were, they finally weren't, you know, kind of just like alone doing this. Now he had a community. Um, yeah. He had a tribe. Exactly. And there was awesome. a recent episode of Julia Galef's podcast, the uh, rationally speaking podcast, where she interviewed somebody who donated a kidney and he had said, yeah, I feel like I did the right thing, but I wouldn't have done it if I didn't know these two other people who already did. Uh, so I think partly one of the, one of the good things about, I mean, depending on what your, and like you said, case by case basis and what memes you're, you're talking about installing in people, but the, the community aspect makes it a lot easier to do a lot of these things. You know, if you're the only person who cares, then, you know, you have no one to share your, a, your enthusiasm for caring, and B, I guess all of your other, like all your reasons for caring about it too, right? So that that community aspect, that that support network, seems really helpful. Am, am I hitting on what you're trying to get at at all? Also, don't you think that if if the person was trying to do the most good, that they would be, I, at least in my opinion, I would be thankful if someone uh, helped me see that this is one of the most important things to work on. I would, I I wouldn't necessarily. Uh, I might give more, but it just just the having the knowledge and maybe reallocating the money that I was giving would be uh, useful for me. Uh, it would be it, you're not necessarily giving them the burden of shame; you're giving them more information that they can do things with, right? Uh, yeah, totally. If that's like a thing that they're looking for, okay, yeah. you might be the kind of person that it's safe to do that up that that install on, but other people might respond more adversely, right? They might just feel worse or something. Is that? Well, well, actually, well. Like I guess in, install is sort of I, I I sort of use it as a pejorative term at least yeah. in my head. Information sharing amongst friends uh, makes sense, but like installing things, in, installing a meme in someone, I am like much more wary of that. So what is what is the difference between installing a meme and sharing information? It's sort of hard to point to it. It might be incoherent, but like in my head, it's sort of like one way I would say it is like. If, like if the other person has the agency in the conversation, then you're less likely to be installing a meme. Okay, so it's more of like a dark arts kind of thing. Dark arts would be the most obvious version. Yeah, yeah. Like if if it, like I have multiple modes. Like I guess by default, if I'm like arguing with someone, my stance is like I know the right thing. I know all the stupid ways that people don't understand the right thing, and I'm just gonna tell you them so that now you'll know the right thing. It's like it's sort of it's. From one perspective, it's like an uncooperative way to have a conversation. Does, it does sort sense? of makes sense, but if you're giving them the tools to understand it, that's more of a friendly thing. Whereas if you are trying to uh, trick them into believing this without giving them the tools, then that's that's a totally different thing. 
right? Even if they come to the same conclusion either way. Yeah. I, I, I think I've had a fair amount of trouble talking about this sort of thing in the abstract. Do you have concrete examples that could make it uh, more, more understandable? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> well, like, let's see. I mean, uh, here's sort of like a simple, obvious example. Like, if I'm talking to someone about AI safety and we like, we like go through the arguments and they're like, Oh, but I, I, they like give some excuse why they, why they shouldn't do stuff Mm -hmm. about it. One thing I could do is like attack that excuse, you know, you know, like be like, but no, you're wrong Mm -hmm. because of this. And then they give another excuse and I'm like, no, you're wrong Mm -hmm. because of that. This feels pretty uncooperative because like, I sort of assume that the thing that they're doing in the conversation makes sense from some internal perspective, like including, like including deflections. So, so it almost seems like you're pursuing an agenda instead of just giving them the tools to make themselves better. Right. Like if my agenda is like, they should leave the conversation thinking that they should go and do such and so about AI safety. Like if that's my agenda, then I'm being uncooperative or at, at least it's uncooperative to not say so. And there's, there's, I mean, there is a norm in the, in the rational community that that is a very bad thing. And I take it that you are on board with that norm as well. Oh, there isn't. It, it seems to me that there is, that the uh, trying to, to, to doing that sort of thing is bad and that you should be open uh, if you are trying to uh, change someone's mind in that way to be open about it. Yeah. As opposed oh. to deceiving Actually, them. I didn't, I didn't know about this norm, I guess. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I've seen it practiced very much. I mean, I, I mean, deception is sort of. I I agree, I, I agree that there's a norm about mm-hmm. deception. Is there is there a norm about like saying, here's my agenda, and then if the person's like, okay, I don't want that agenda, then you just like don't have the conversation. I are you are you are, Inyash, are you saying that sometimes conversations can go like, hey, I want to tell you about AI safety, and my ultimate goal here is to get you to donate money to Miri. Are you saying that's how conversations start or ought to start or that is the norm or what are you saying? No, no, no. I, I'm not saying that, but I get the feeling that that it's considered bad form to have that as an actual goal without telling someone that that is your goal as opposed to just, hey, here's a thing that I'm concerned about. Maybe you'd be concerned about it too after I talk to you about it. I think I see... Is there a, I see is the, there I, a difference? I think I see the, the difference a bit, but I think that it's desirable that, 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 sta- that step or that first option but i don't know if i see that practiced either yeah no you know often i i mean just to completely throw this into confusion you might not be clear which what your goals are before you even enter the conversation you might just be talking about it and yet you might accidentally get these things in people's heads or something right well okay so what what came to my head was the uh recent kerfuffle around uh a post called ea has a lying problem where someone wrote a very long post about hey guys it seems like people are not representing data that makes are, are not putting forth data that makes them look bad and only saying things that make them look good and would incentivize people to donate to these charities and it seems even more so like they know this and uh, behind the scenes talk about it and say things along the lines of for most people, this is not pertinent information and it, it will just confuse the issue for them. So there's no reason to bring it up because we know that this is the right thing to do anyway. And uh, there was a huge, not huge, there was a significant blow up about that where people started really questioning themselves and a lot of the EA things that are done. And because this was considered very bad practice, go ahead and be incredibly open about things and make all this data available 
And I, I don't think there was any real malfeasance. I think there was a little bit of people in some people in the leadership starting to acknowledge that there is a level of diminishing returns of complete transparency and saying it poorly. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I don't think anyone was intentionally being bad and that there wasn't really a line problem. But I thought it was very interesting that as soon as someone picked up on this, they made a very long public post about it, brought it to everyone's attention, and the entire community jumped on it and started talking about it because that is something that, as a whole, the commu- is anathema to the community, that, that we want to avoid that sort of thing. We do not want to be like the Komen Breast Cancer Foundation where they think anything that you can do to increase funding to our group is good because our group is doing a fundamentally good thing. And uh, I, I, I was very, I was very heartened when I saw the movement doing that because, to me, it felt like even if it does sometimes stray off course and starts getting into darker area, it has a very quick and pretty good self-correction mechanism. I mean, not incredibly quick. It isn't like days later, but certainly nothing that goes on for as long as something like the Komen Foundation does. It, it was it was picked up on and publicized pretty quickly. And and that's where I get the feeling that there is more of a norm to uh, to be open and to uh, tell people if you're trying to you know modify them in that sort of way. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, that's a good illustration. I, I, are, I mean, are, are you familiar with the EA um, has lying problem thing? Yeah, I think I, I think I. I mean, at least saw it. and okay. read about it. I probably read some of it, but yeah. not all of it. I didn't get super deep into it. Well, so the lying post, the, the EA has a lying problem post, was a demonstration that there's. At least some norm, but I guess, but like, also that the norm was not sufficiently widespread. Ah. Um, at least allegedly not sufficiently widespread to like have already That's been the case. Like it, like such that it wasn't obvious to multiple people that this that it's like very defecty, very non-cooperative to just like intentionally deceive. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, so we are almost out of time. Uh, Stephen, you wanted you had some like follow a last minute question. Yeah, last minute question for you. Just a, a double whammy. One, is there <laughs> anything that you want to share that we didn't ask about or that you wish that we had, and that ties into is there anything that you want to plug slash share that we didn't ask you about? Any on that goes without saying too that any links you want us to share, you can send us. We'll put on the website too. I didn't think about this in advance. If anyone is in the Bay Area, there are community talk nights sometimes at the C Farmery uh, office. Do they share an office? Oh, a, have they always shared an office? At least for a couple of years. Yeah. Huh. Today I learned. I for some reason thought they were like I guess it eh, doesn't matter for running out of time. <laughs> uh, do you uh, so do you, is there a, a website or a link or something that you can uh, share with us to how people can find out about when those are? Uh off the top of my head. I'll check Facebook. Oh, no, there's no okay. rush. Yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll send it to us, and we will have it posted in the show notes. Yeah, okay. And you have a couple of weeks before this goes online anyway. Yeah, cool. so. okay. yeah take your time. Cool. I guess as long as we're wrapping up uh, time-wise, I really appreciate you spending all this time with us. It certainly, I think, is a very much appreciated use of your time, and I know that you know you have stuff to do, and this was... Uh, thanks again. I guess I'm expressing a lot of gratitude, <laughs> and I'm doing so poorly. Thank you. Uh, uh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Uh, this was fun. Uh, any final things you want to say before we go? Nope, that seems good. Okay, well, uh, thanks for coming on and for bearing with us with our technical issues last week. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again sometime in the future. Great, thank you. Awesome, thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye.